subject is being a servant. John chapter 13, being a servant. I want to read the first 17 verses. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Father, thank you for this word. We recognize that we cannot understand, we cannot learn, we cannot comprehend spiritual things for the natural senses. And I'm asking you this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you'll quicken our minds and our understandings that we'll be able to see and know <coughs> the truth that should be applied to our daily lives. I'm asking that our ears will hear, our eyes will see, and our wills will be yielded to do the perfect will of God. Thank you for this truth in the Word of God. Now, Lord, let us make it to be beneficial to our daily walk. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, whenever anyone talks about an act of God, we immediately think about some terrible disaster. Lightning, flood, earthquake, tornado. They say, well, that's an act of God. We had, uh, we've had an act of God, as they call it, strike 15 or 18 pine trees on our property. But here we see a different type, a true act of God, a different type of an act of God in John the 13th chapter. And it has a very beautiful example being set by the Lord Jesus Christ for us as Christians. As you look at the setting, we find just a quiet chamber where they called it the upper room where all the disciples gathered together. And probably in that room there wasn't too much in the way of furnishings, maybe a table over next to the wall where there'd be a few utensils, and then a large table that would be built very low to the ground, and around on three sides of it would be some pillows, something that would remind me, I suppose today, like our bean bags, big pillows, not a small pillow, but a large pillow that a man could lie on his side, kind of rest his elbow on the floor a little bit, but most of the weight being borne by the pillow up under his arm, and it'd be on three sides of the table, and very simple. 
decor in the room, and yet is up on the second floor. And the, the subjects that are in that room are, are of interest because it was the disciples, and they were all quarreling. We'll see later that they were all quarreling and arguing with each other who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God and jockeying for position with the pillows to see who was going to be at the head of the table and who was going to be closest to the Lord and just all taken up in the things of the flesh and the natural arguments that they had. And the tools of this act of God involve just simply a basin with a pitcher of water and a towel. And its meaning and the message of humility and selfless servitude has never been erased down through 20 centuries. Over and over, as men want to know what it means to be great, they have to look at the, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to understand what it really means. Jesus had the beautiful ability to take something that was small and seemingly insignificant and make it very significant. You'll remember, for example, he took the loaves and fishes. Now, what are you going to do with a bag lunch? When I was in college, I had a lot of good ideas what I wanted to do with the bag lunches they used to serve. But what are you going to do with the bag lunch that this young fellow had and he carried way out into the field and it's out there and it was hot all day? Can you imagine they didn't have plastic wrap? They didn't have these little bags that you could seal them in. But here were two hard loaves and some dried salted fish. But look what Jesus did. He was able to take a little bit of insignificance and make it into a sufficient to feed a crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children there on the hillside. Jesus took, for example, a little child, the scripture says. And he set it on his knee and he laid his hand on a blessed knee. And he used that as an example as to those that would enter into the kingdom of God. Except you become as a little child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Simple faith. He didn't say you're supposed to be childish. He said you're supposed to be childlike. I've seen a lot of people profess to be Christians who are very childish. And that isn't what he was talking about. But he just took a little insignificant, probably very unknown child and made a very strong, beautiful illustration with it. And this morning, as we'll see again, he took a little cup. And that cup has become the sacramental emblem of his blood shed in our behalf. He said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Toward a day, whenever we take that cup, we realize a significance that has been placed upon it like no other cup on earth. And here we see that he just took, says he took a towel, wrapped himself like a slave, washed and wiped the feet of all of the disciples that were with him. I'd like for us to just look at that towel, that little act that Jesus Christ performed this morning and begin to realize the immortality that it took on when Jesus performed this little insignificant, seemingly insignificant deed. The first thing to notice is the humility of that service. Now you try to picture Jesus Christ performing this duty, but let's look at the scene a little bit more, the unlovely scene. I should say the unlovely setting that's there. Here are all these disciples quarreling and fighting. Luke 22, 24 says, And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. Who's going to rule over Israel? Who's going to get Mesopotamia? Who's going to get the European? Who's going to get the, other, the Egypt and all these other nations? When he sets up his kingdom, who's going to get the seat right next to him? Think of the unlovely setting in which this beautiful thing happened. Now, I say that because it's easy for us sometimes in a lovely setting, when everything is going right, when everybody's treating us right, and everybody's doing what we want them to do, that then we'll stoop and serve someone else. But in this unlovely setting, to see this thing happen. You see, the normal custom when people came into a room like that, they'd walk down these dusty roads. And, of course, in Florida, we know a little bit about it, but real dust. You have to be like in Nebraska or Kansas or Texas to understand real dust. 
And down here we have a lot of sand and there's some dust with it. But I mean up there, when it rolls, it just rolls and rolls and rolls. And it'll go clear across field after field and through your house. You can see it coming through the screen and through the whole house and out the other screen almost. And, and I imagine that's what it was like over in Israel. And as they would walk with these, with these type of cloaks that they had on, the dust would just get up around their feet and their calves and everything. So whenever they came into a room, the normal procedure was would be to have a servant there. And he would have a basin and a pitcher of water and a towel. And when these people would walk in, they'd slip their sandals off, and this man would then wash their feet and their legs. Because generally speaking, that's where they got the dirtiest. Then they could go over somewhere else if they wanted to wash their hands, which the Jew would normally do. But they were specifically to do that right at the door. But you didn't see the disciples doing this. When they came in, they looked around. There wasn't a servant. And they thought, oh boy, I'm one of the first ones here. I'm going to get the head of the table. And another one comes in and says, hey, that's my place. Don't do that. That's my pillow. I choose the red pillow. And that's all they could think about. So coming in with their feet all dirty, they were plopping down on the pillows trying to find the best place. Boy, they put their hands behind their back and held their noses high and said, not me. You think I'm going to wash your dirty feet? I've got news for you. Wasn't that a beautiful setting? They were willing to eat with dirty feet. I like what Bud Robinson said. He said, pride is a very strange disease. He says it makes everyone sick except the one that has it. Isn't that beautiful? Pride is a strange disease. It makes everyone sick except the person who has it. And that's what we saw in that room that day. Looking at Jesus there in a very unlovely setting, but then we have to look at the lovely deed when he removed his robe and took the basin of water and filled it, and he knelt down to wash the feet of his own servants, his own disciples. I like what I believe it was Dr. Paul Reese said one time. He said, Little men can't afford to stoop, and great men can do it with great ease. Remember that. Little men have difficulty stooping, kneeling down, getting low. Great men can do it with great ease because they know who they are and what they are in Jesus Christ. And the disciples were ready to fight for a throne, but they weren't ready to fight for a towel. John, the 13th chapter there again, the third verse, it's a remarkable statement by John. Listen, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments. Jesus knew that the scepter of the world was his. He knew that Satan was being defeated. He knew that all the angels of heaven were going to bow at his feet. He knew that he was king of kings and lord of lords and no one was over him. Knowing this position, the scripture says that he took a towel, took off his garment, wrapped himself with a towel, filled the basin, and began to kneel at the feet of those disciples. Now you know that that's something for us to use. And Jesus said that that's an example for us as to how he wants us to recognize our position before him. Now, how do we relate it to our own lives this morning? It's easy to talk about what the Lord's done in the past, but there are a couple of verses I want to share with you from the New Testament that would relate to what Jesus did here and what he had to say to us. And the first one is in Philippians, the second chapter, verses 3 through 8. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself don't just think about your own affairs but be interested in others too and in what they are doing try to be like jesus christ who though he was god did not demand and cling to his own rights as god but laid aside his mighty power and glory taking the disguise of a slave and becoming like men and he humbled himself 
even further, going so far as to actually die a criminal's death on the cross. Now this is known as the kenosis theory in the King James Version. Being equal with God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Here you have the incarnation in miniature right here as he was kneeling down at the feet of these disciples, although he was Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and every one of them should have been groveling at his feet. Now it says, you be like Jesus. Think other people better than yourselves. Be concerned about their problems. Be concerned about their needs. And we look at Peter. Of course, you, you read there in the 13th chapter of John again where Peter was protesting the fact that Jesus was going to wash his feet. Of course, Peter was the one, as I said, is always the one that the only time he seemed to open his mouth was to change feet. He was always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. He says, dost thou wash my feet? I think he was a little bit ashamed. And certainly not. In other words, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, what I do now, thou knowest not now. And he said, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. I think that's prophetic. He was saying, there's, if a person won't allow me to cleanse them, they have no life. They have to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the washing of the word, the water of the word. All right. And then in Titus 3, 5, it says, according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So when he said that to Peter, Peter said in verse 9 there, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Verse 10, Jesus said, He that is bathed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. Now this, of course, is symbolic in the Old Testament. When the Old Testament priests would be serving in the tabernacle, there was dirt floor in the tabernacle. They'd go out to the altar of sacrifice, and as they were coming back from there to go into the holy place with a blood offering, they would stop at the laver, which was filled with water, and they would wash their feet completely because of all the dust that's being kicked up there. Before they'd walk into the holy place, they'd wash their feet. And when they'd come back out, they'd wash their hands. And they were always going back from the altar to the holy place by the laver. And each time they'd stop and wash their hands or wash their feet, constantly cleansing while they're in the service of the Lord, getting a continuous cleansing. Now, they didn't have to take a bath all the time, but they'd wash their hands and they'd wash their feet because they were getting dirty in their service. And that's what Jesus was referring back to here. And when Peter experienced this thing in, in the upper room, later on when he wrote his own epistle... In 1 Peter 5, 5, there's a very interesting truth there for us to pick up. Beautiful truth for us to learn from this. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with what? Be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Now, that, it's an interesting thing. That one phrase there, clothed, that's the only place it's found in the New Testament. Clothed with humility. And that means the putting on of a slave's costume. Now, read it in that light and you find it's different. Yea, all of you be subject to one another and put on a slave's costume. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. He said, consider yourself a slave of mine. Paul the Apostle said, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And Jesus clothed himself as a slave with a towel wrapped around him and displayed a humility of service, a royalty of service. James said in James 2.8, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. James says there's something royal, there's something supernatural about this kind of love given to someone else to where you put others before you and you exalt the others and you lift them up and you encourage them. 
There's something supernatural about John the Baptist saying he must increase but I must decrease. He, he caught the vision of God's purpose in the life of the believer. There's something royal about that. John says of Jesus in chapter 13 verse 1, Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them to the end. Loved them to the uttermost. That means he loved them completely, he loved them intensely, even when they deserved it the least. I like that. And the symbol of that love was his taking a towel and bowing down. Now, I want to say to you that when he's talking about this love here, he's not talking about what I've described before as sloppy agape or surpy sentiment. He's talking about genuine, deep concern and understanding and empathy and sympathy for those around us who have needs to where we lift their load and we care for them. Again and again, the word says, do this which Jesus did. Be this which Jesus was. So that the others in the world, when they see you, they can see Jesus Christ in your life. Don't do it to those that deserve it. Do it to those that don't deserve it. Don't do it to those that love you and help you and do things for you. Do it for those that can't and don't do it for you. That's agape love. Now you think about it a moment. Jesus, here he is, kneeling at the feet of Judas. Do you think he didn't know what Judas was going to do? Judas could have just as well as not just kicked him right in the mouth. He did worse than that when he walked out of that room. He knew he was going to betray him. He goes from there over to Peter and said, you're not going to wash me. He said, you better let me wash you or you won't be clean. He knew that Peter was going to deny him. And as he washed the feet of the rest of the disciples, he knew that every one of them was going to run off and desert him. And the scripture says, yet he loved them to the uttermost. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Isn't that powerful? To the unlovely, the undeserving. See, service today, when we talk about service today, helping others, working with others, it's become so commercialized it's almost totally poisoned. Someone said in business world some time ago, I remember hearing, said, he who serves best profits most. See, give service to your customers. Obligate them. Just do everything you can for them. When I used to work in a restaurant, they'd say, just watch that table and don't let their glasses get empty. Don't let their cup get empty. Don't let them drop a napkin while you have another one in their hand. Watch it. If they see anything, anything wrong with the silver, say, oh, no, I wouldn't have you. Just take that away. Said, just serve them to where they absolutely feel obligated and ashamed that they go away and not give you something. Now, that's the way the world thinks, see. Encrusted with greed. Obligate that person. Make them buy Befriend them to where they, they finally just have a very difficult time saying no to you. That's different from what I'm talking about here, this royal love. Now, there's eternal values to it, but royal love does things expecting nothing in return materially. It's the love of God coming to you and flowing out through you to others with concern and compassion unselfishly. I read some time ago about a 60-year-old man. Some people thought he was becoming senile. He taught a Sunday school class, a boys' Sunday school class in his church. And uh, pretty soon somebody heard that this elderly man was buying guinea pigs and starting to feed guinea pigs and raise them and, and learn all about them and study all about them. And someone said, have you left your senses? Why are you, 60 years of age, starting to raise guinea pigs? You know, that's not very expensive. Someone said the only difference between a little boy and a man is that their toys get more expensive. And here, this, this fellow at 60 years of age was just doing nothing but raising guinea pigs. And then someone found out that this man had tried every way he knew to reach one of the young boys in his class that had never been saved yet. And through the grapevine, he learned that this young boy was raising guinea pigs at home. 
And because of his concern and his love to try to reach out and win that boy, he took guinea pigs and started raising them himself and studying everything he could. And through that channel was able to interest this young boy in what he was doing because it was a, a common interest. And he got him to come to his home and he was ha having this boy teach him some things and then he would teach this boy some things. And before long there came a camaraderie between them and this boy could tell that there was a love there and this man was able to win him to Jesus Christ. Now you see, that's, that's royal service, isn't it? The man didn't have to raise guinea pigs, but the love of Christ constrained him to do it. I mean, what 60-year-old man has to worry about a little 10, 11, 12-year-old boy? There's a royalty to that kind of service. And then Jesus, I think, demonstrated the simplicity of service when he took that towel. God incarnate. God of all creation. God of very gods. He should have had an ivory throne with a gold crown and a scepter in his hand. And you know, Jesus could have very, very easily taken a sword because there were many who said, Lord, you come now. You're the promised Messiah. You're the promised ruler. You're going to conquer and put down all the Gentile nations. They were looking for an earthly kingdom. Lord, you just say the word and we'll grab our swords and we're behind. He could have gotten armies behind him doing that. It made a lot of attention. He could have raised the scepter the day he walked into the city of Jerusalem and said, I'll be your king. And they would have tried to put him on the throne. Jesus Christ could have called for a legion of angels if he wanted to. I like what someone said. It was love that nailed him to the cross. Love kept him on the cross. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. You see, he could have done all those things. And when I think of all the power and all the magnitude of, of the wisdom and understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, natural men would have become drunk with power. They would have tried to do everything possible to show the magnitude of power that they possessed. But the Lord Jesus Christ, in simplicity, had reached out and took a towel to show that he was a servant. He ignored all the rest of it. But you know something I really thank the Lord for? Even though he just took a towel and a basin and a pitcher of water, he outdazzled all the Caesars of the world. They're forgotten and gone, and Jesus Christ and his life and his power continues to flow today like never before. I just wish that some of our nation's leaders would... Take note of that fact. You don't have to win friends by giving gifts and everything else. There's some simplicity in giving that if they could just trust us and know that we meant what we said and said what we meant, what a difference it would be in our international relationships. But the world hasn't learned that yet. This is one of the problems I think that many, many of us Christians run into too. We fail to be interested in the little, simple acts of servitude. There are a lot of people that are willing to serve the Lord if they can get a nice big important job my wife and I were at a youth camp up in northern Minnesota one time and after I got through speaking a young girl came up of college age and she said I just want to serve the Lord I just I, I just can hardly wait I want to do something for the Lord and I found out what church she came from I said well why don't you go back to your church and tell your pastor that you'd like to teach a Sunday school class I said what's the matter she said well I was thinking of something more exciting than that you know, that's, there's some people that want to do the big things and can't and aren't willing to do the little things, so they end up doing nothing. I mean, they're willing to be Caesar, but don't give me a towel. And I think this is a truth that we have to learn from our Lord here. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus could have grabbed a sword. He could have grabbed a scepter. He could have taken an army. He could have called his angels. But he was willing to take a towel and bow down at the feet of his disciples. The simplicity of service. Again, God uses simple things. 
Moses, what's that thing in your hand? Oh, that's just a stick, Lord. We'll throw it down. Turns into a serpent. And after that, you found out it wasn't a stick anymore. It was called the rod of God when it was given to him. David, little old scrawny lad, what's that thing in your hand? Oh, this just a string with it. It's called a slingshot, Lord. I want to use it. Okay, Lord, what do you want to do with it? Well, just follow me. There's five little smooth stones. You take five because he may have four brothers. So you take five stones all total. And, and let's go. And with that one little sling, a little simple thing, he conquered a giant and the whole tenor of the war changed. Little simple things. And I think what God's saying here is if we can't do big things, let's be willing to do little things for the sake of Christ. And as we do those little things, God says, he that is faithful in little, I'll make faithful in much. People say, God, let me be faithful in much, and then, then if there happens to be some details left over, I'll go do that. He says, no, you, you're coming in the back door. You be faithful in little, and I'll make you faithful over much. Learn the simplicity before you learn the, the exaltation. I know that everybody can't finance a, buy a new building for a church or buy a whole school. I know of a man up in Minnesota that bought some stock years ago at a, got an option on, I think it was something like 50,000 or 100,000 shares at, at uh, about 50 cents a share, and it just skyrocketed and then it split and it skyrocketed and split and skyrocketed and split three for one. And when it ended up, the guy was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire with six kids living in a little three-bedroom cracker box. Well, he found out the best way for him tax-wise if he was going to help anybody was to give that stock away at its present value, some of it, and he personally built a whole building for a, a Christian college up in Minnesota. And since then, has probably built one or two more. Now, everybody can't do that. But you know, there are a lot of Christians who, even though they can't do that, can support a Christian young person going to a Christian school somewhere trying to study for the Lord's work later on. They can encourage some young person in, in their training in the Lord's work. There are a lot of people that will never be able to write books. But there's an awful lot of us that could write a letter to a shut-in or to a missionary. Or, do you see what I'm talking about? Those little insignificant blessings that we can be. Everybody can't preach sermons, but everybody can give away a Bible or a New Testament or a tract to someone. And that's where you start. I've never forgotten a, a little girl. One time came president of the ladies' missionary group. And she saw her packing a box to go over to Burma. And she said, can I give? And she gave a penny. The woman almost thought, well, thank you, honey. She tried to be gracious. And she thought, what in the world would I do with a penny? And then she remembered that the tracks, the gospel tracks that they'd just gotten in cost a penny. So she put the penny in the track rack and took that tract out that was being sent over and put it in this little box for the missionaries with a note explaining where it came from that this little girl had given a penny. When the missionary got that tract, he took it over to a leader, the, a Burmese chief of a whole village. The Burmese chief, after being able to read this tract in his own language, was converted and began to witness to others in his own village. And from that one gospel tract, one penny, little insignificant simplicity of giving, 1,500 Burmese were one to Jesus Christ. Now somebody would have said, man, let me go over and just evangelize. I need $300,000 to go evangelize that community. But God took that little loaves and fishes, see, and he multiplied it. The little simple deeds that we think are so insignificant. She just took a towel and gave it to the service of Jesus Christ. And then finally, the practicality of the service. Jesus applied it practically in the 13th chapter, verses 15 through 17. Let's look at that again. John 13, 15 through 17. I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, 
neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Now I want you to know that, that service, serving others, is going to be the end result of a Christian experience. Don't try to put it the other way around. Some people try to have the service, get the service going before they get the Christian experience. But Christian ex service, when you've had a relationship with Jesus Christ and He's doing things in your life, you just can't help but respond. Someone said you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And that's what I'm trying to say here. If you're filled with the love of Christ and you know He's done a work in your heart, that same love that came to you from Him will flow out of you to others around about you. Don't try to get it in any other order or you'll get into confusion. It's the practical result of a Christian experience that you've had. And I'll tell you something, you can bluff in worship and you can bluff in a lot of things, but you won't bluff very long in service. I've seen people down through my ministry come to church and look just as pious as pilgrims. Boy, you'd think they were saints that already had wings attached, but they'd left them outside the door when you look at them. And you can fool preachers and you can fool other people for so long. But boy, you get people in the area of services, you can't bluff very long because too many tests come along. Situations to say, what are you going to do about this? Well, I'm going to pray about it. Non-negotiable, God bless you as you know. But the next question is, well, how much time will you donate to this? How much will you do for the Lord in this situation? How much money are you able or willing to give? And when you start giving excuses, all of a sudden, that whole area of service just kind of fades away and the, and the sham falls off. Like I say, we can look holy. But what you do speaks so loud that people can't hear what we say when it comes to the simplicity and the commitment of our lives to Jesus Christ in service. It'll reveal very quickly how rich we are in our own spirit or the poverty of our soul, maybe I should say, in the emptiness of our dedication. If you want something to condemn the barrenness of your soul, just read this over and over again, what Jesus said, that he humbled himself and became as a servant. He said, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Now these words will rebuke us or they'll encourage us, depending on what we wanted to do, where our heart is, where our spirit is before the Lord. I just want you to, be able to take an opportunity just to look at the Lord, just to gaze at Him as we come around the communion table to gaze upon Him and to meditate upon the nature of our Master and our Lord. He said, now, this is, I'm doing this to show you what I want you to do. I'm doing this to show you how I want you to live. Forget the sword, forget the scepter, forget the armies, forget the angels, forget all these things, and be a servant. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Just before this portion of Scripture in John, he was talking about except a grain of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now I think there had to be some death take place in Jesus right then and there when he was willing to bow down to that motley crew of disciples that were fighting and arguing with one another and begin to wash their feet. The humility of service, the royalty of service, the simplicity of service, the practicality of service. And I just want to say this morning for each one of us that the opportunity of service is right there before you, Christian. There's not a one of us, but what if we'll look around just a little bit, we'll see that there's an area where we can serve the Lord. There's something we can do for Him. Now, not big, but that little thing, that insignificant thing, that humbling thing for the Lord. Amen? We may not conquer any armies. But if we can be like Jesus and others can look at us until we've been with Jesus, that's the most important decision that we've ever made in our lives then.